1: Welcome to another show of Get Found, Get Funded. Today's theme is how to explain my big idea so that I can increase awareness and in sales. We will be talking with Amy Kandrack, CEO of What Friends Do. Amy has bought into the 21st century what women in churches used to do with phone trees, notepads, and bulletin boards. What Friends Do is an online platform that makes it easy to enlist a team to help coordinate rides, prepare and deliver food, care for children, or provide updates for a friend, family member, or coworker in need. Amy's story began when a close friend, Laura, was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor at the age of 25. Amy, her mom, and her sister took charge and coordinated all of the non-medical care and rallied hundreds of friends to, to show their support. Recognizing the need for a simpler way to coordinate, What Friends Do was created. Amy is passionate about running a technology-based company centered on helping friends and families going through a life-changing event. Her forward and innovative thinking has earned her recognition as one of Indiana's best and brightest finalists from Junior Achievement of Central Indiana and as a Top 50 Mompreneur of the Year from eBabble.com. Amy spent the early years of her career in development and fundraising in both nonprofits and higher education. Her experience with organizing and managing events Strategic planning and fundraising was instrumental when she became one of the first female CEOs in the state of Indiana to close a $500,000 round of funding. Since its launch, What Friends Do has had great success. To keep up with demand and better serve people and communities, Amy is in the process of targeting support to more churches and community organizations. Amy, thanks for being on the show today. We're looking forward to this discussion. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey with What Friends Do? Thanks so much for having me.
2: Yes. Well, you did a nice job of covering some of the background. Uh, what Friends Do started not because I felt like as a mom of two really young kids and a husband in med school that I should look for something else to do with my time, like start a business. Um, it was more out of necessity and realizing that I lived in a different state than my friends and my friend's friends lived all over the country and trying to find a way for us all to stay in communication and coordinated to do something that would be helpful and meaningful just didn't exist. So because of that came up with the idea of the online support tool Called What Friends Do. And we have a consumer facing platform, whatfriendsdo.com, that is free for all users and allows everyone to support a friend, whether they're having a baby or moving to a new house or going through a cancer journey. But we also sell our software to different organizations. And thus far, We've really been focused on healthcare organizations like hospital systems. So, right now we're realizing though that um, hospital systems, while they are wonderful and super great to get to the patients, we need to help focus our product getting to the friends. And that's where we've thought that churches, faith-based communities, and other organizations in the community are really where we need to start focusing some of our energy.
3: Hi, Amy. This is Zena. Um, First of all, I love the, the, the name of the company, What Friends Do. It really says exactly what your company does. And I noticed that you've received some press after being the first female uh, CEOs in the state of Indiana to close $500,000 round of funding. Um, Can you talk about that type that at that time, the type of press you received and what's happened since then to help raise your visibility?
2: Thanks. Yes, it was pretty exciting to be um, one of the first, if not the first female tech CEO in Indiana to close that amount of money. I ran into the good and the bad. I ran into, you know, wow, that's amazing, that's fantastic. Um, But also, that's not really enough money for us to give any kind of press coverage. You know, most tech companies are closing larger dollar amounts, so we don't feel like we should be publishing that. Um, I've also run into people not even understanding the concept. And kind of turning away. Um, but for the most part, we are taking all of the wonderful publicity and press and uh, allowing that to really help try to move our momentum forward.
4: Let's talk for a minute about the messaging and so forth, and then we'll come back to kind of some of Zena's questions around mm-hmm. publicity. Hi, Amy. This is real Hi. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I know you have had different messaging for different con- constituencies, right? Like, on the one hand, you're talking to investors. I mean, you've closed, you know, right. around and you're in the process of looking for more funding. Um, you talk to your clients and customers, so the health systems up until now that, you know, might be using this. And mm-hmm. you're talking to the end user, so people who might have a need for this for, you know, like you said, it might be on for reasons of good news, or it might be reasons for reasons of people going through a challenge. So you've got a lot of different groups of people you're talking to. And now we're, you are kind of adding the faith based communities and other community based organizations to this. Talk Uh to us for a minute, just give us some of the background with regard to the different stories and the different messaging that you've come up with to talk to those sure. different groups and then we can kind of unpack that. Yeah.
2: So starting with um, our end consumer, uh, you know, just making sure that they know that it's okay to provide help for your friend and that you need to, you know, help and step in with things other than just meals and reminding people that that is important and needed There's a really big uh, hurdle for a lot of people feeling uncomfortable providing help for a friend, especially if it's someone they don't know really, really well. And that is probably, across the board, one of our biggest hurdles we've run into, is that people are uncomfortable providing help if they don't think that they're close enough to someone. That's also one of the reasons why we allow them to purchase gift cards and items off of an Amazon list so that they can still feel like they're helping. But when we take messaging then from the friends to the healthcare organizations, letting the healthcare organization know that this is allowing them to provide support not only to their patients outside of the hospital walls or outside of the health. Center walls, this is really allowing them to provide support for that caretaker. Knowing that when the caregiver is supported, knows what's going on, and knows that they don't have the burden of driving everyone to their next activity and having to make dinner and even remembering to take the trash out that caregiver can now focus more of their time, attention, and energy on the patient and their healing, which will allow the healing process, obviously, to be much stronger, lower readmission rates than for the hospital because the patient is being taken care of outside of the hospital. Additionally, that patient's what we call team Averages thirty-seven people, and or thirty-seven households, I should say, and that is now extending and um, its brand exposure for the hospital. So it's a market differentiator. When your friend is going for cancer treatment at ABC Hospital, they're going to recognize in the community the extra support that is happening and they're already going to have a relationship is being established with those 37 friends along with hospitals into foundations that foundation also has the 37 friends that now can be part of their donor prospect list and they can have all of those touch points with those 37 households in order to ask them for a contribution in the future so those are to my sales side messaging the investor side messaging then comes down twofold how do we well number one always how are you making money so that is Two ways. One, we sell subscriptions to organizations, allowing them to have a white labeled version of our product. And two, we make a commission on all of the products that are purchased by those team members uh, through our website.
4: So there's a lot of pieces here, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is kind of what we were um, talking about in preparation for for this discussion um let's talk about the first piece first right so okay. so you have to get people really engaged in using this product and mm-hmm. this platform really has to resonate with whoever's going to pick it up and really make it go right and so yeah. um in a minute um we're going to definitely let our guest expert talk a little bit about um you know faith faith-based, faith-based communities and how they're used to kind of jumping in in a time of grief and a time of joy or celebration but other communities aren't necessarily um used to doing that like you said friends by themselves might not be comfortable with inserting themselves in a time of grief or in a time of crisis right how, exactly yeah, and Kate, when
2: that our you know, when our grandparents' generation was at their church or synagogue or mosque, they were—it was just expected that they would write it down on a piece of paper, "These are the days we need food delivered to our friend's home," and you would go after the services, sign up for whatever day and time felt good to you, and. The idea of that to me right now sounds so cumbersome. There's no way I would ever do that. Um, I I mean, logistically, I would forget. I would forget their address. I would write it down incorrectly. um, And it's just not necessary to know each other well enough or to live close enough to necessarily make that work now it doesn't mean it doesn't work it means faith communities have to start looking at different strategies to really connect all of the members
3: Amy I want to go back to the fact that you know people do not want to insert themselves in a time of grief because they feel Mm -hmm. very uncomfortable and let me say that there are friends you know people who are friends of friends who see their friend in need have a hard time as well Inserting themselves mm-hmm. because they don't understand how to what what to do. So, in my opinion, uh, and I always look at things in terms of angles, news angles, and how to pitch press, and what would make this um, your story and your business interesting is to do some type of an education awareness campaign around this issue of. You know, there was a time when you just mentioned when our grandparents and I remember my grandmother as well, who would jump in and help anybody in a time of need that was a member of her church. Right. And Mm -hmm. she might not have known sister so and so. However, because that person was a member of her church or in her community, she would help out. So Mm -hmm. you may want to. Think about different story angles to pitch to the press about what happened to these times. What happened to those days when people in your community would just jump in and help out? And this is prior to social media, um, prior to text messaging. And why don't we why don't you think about pitching that story to the press to see if you can generate some more um, stories And Mm -hmm. also, you will plant a seed in the minds of some of the readers out there, and they they will probably go to your website and check this out. Because for some reason, that was not passed on to the next generation. Because you're right, it it doesn't happen in my generation. So I agree with you on that.
2: Right. And I don't think it's because we don't care. Mm -hmm. I know that's definitely not my case. But it is something about our generation feeling uh,
3: intrusive. There's, there's some intrusive somehow. Like.
2: Intrusive mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there's, there's new levels of privacy that I haven't been able to completely unpack yet. Um, and I think it goes both ways. And that is oftentimes we, if we're the person who is in need of help, are uncomfortable asking, admitting, accepting help. There's some ego protection or something that says, no, 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 I'll be fine. I don't need anything. I can handle it
3: on my own.
1: So so I think it goes both ways.
3: I agree with you.
1: Yeah, I, I agree as well. This is Christina. And as I, I listen to you, you know, one of the things that is popping up to me is that this is actually a cross-generational solution that you have, right? So you talked about mm-hmm. dispersed communities. You know, I know that my family is in Connecticut. My husband's is in New York. We're here and uh, we're in northern Virginia. And so we're not right next door. You know, if something happens, we can't just get in the car and go to someone's house. And so that dispersed community becomes a challenge, and so your solution provides um, kind of an automated way or a quick way to uh, uh, potentially connect them with the things that they may need, whether it's a ride or food or um, uh, some other type of help. You know, the second, again, is the increased technology. We talked about, um, you know, just having more access now to uh, social media and things online and potentially integration with, um, you know, products and services, and so your solution can provide that. Uh, And the third is really around, you know, this cultural shift, right? And a lot of it is a mindset. But, again, I think your solution provides the platform to support individuals who want to help, can help, and can do it either anonymously or do it without feeling like they're intrusive, Um, but then also provide Mm -hmm. the support and help that the person on the other end may need. Thinking about how would I use what friends do in my family, um, and I know someone like my daughter would quickly and I would quickly use it. My mom probably would have to be walk through it a bit, but she gets it. And my grandmother is one of those women in the church that you talked about who naturally would, you know, go to sister and so-and-so's house after, you know, a back surgery or, you know, she helps in the soup kitchen. And so looking at this solution as a cross-generational solution, I think, is, is a way to maybe help with the messaging that you have.
2: Yes. And— My guess is your mom, who is in, you know, who's 60, is almost (laughs) on technology, almost 60, almost 60, not yet, Um, you know, uses technology, probably has a smartphone. Um, I know my grandmother was 99 and still emailing, Mm -hmm. um, and I have a grandfather who's in his late 80s, and he emails regularly, so it's not unusual for them even to have a solution online for organizing help um, and for organizing any of those things. Whereas for, you know, my daughter who's 14 would look at me like I was crazy if I said that there was a piece of paper you had to sign up. Right. You know, (laughs) just just unreasonable. (laughs) <laughs> but using our platform for something like, heaven forbid, something were to happen to your grandmother, mm-hmm. um, using this tool to communicate with everyone in all four states and all over the country, so the burden doesn't lie on generally that eldest daughter. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so let me let me ask a question. And I'm sure one that maybe our listeners may have as well. You know, you look, you know, things like mm-hmm. Facebook or GoFundMe you know, talk about how what friends do is different and what um, different service offerings you provide that or differentiators you provide uh, from potential competitors like uh, Facebook, GoFundMe or others. Sure. So GoFundMe um, is
2: great if you just want to give someone money. We use the exact same API technology and have the same built in for fundraising as GoFundMe. Um, But If you're going through a really major life event, you do need money, but you have to do something with that money. And so once you receive $10,000 for all of your medical expenses, you still need rides places. You still need to have the groceries purchased. So we are taking that money and distributing it in actionable ways. Um, allowing friends to determine, you know, I, I really just want to be able to pay for their dog food for the next month um, or whatever is connected to them instead of leaving them the burden of all of this of life still on the person who's using the GoFundMe campaign. Mm-hmm. Facebook is great if you want to tell all 800 of your friends every single detail of everything that is going on, but, Your grandparents may or may not be on Facebook. Your grandparents may or may not be, or your spouse's parents may or may not be your friends on Facebook um, to receive all of the information. Additionally, even Facebook groups and pages, information gets lost, and it's hard to organize support. Mm -hmm. It's really great for sharing information. And putting together an event. But again, we are looking at, just as it says in our name, what friends do. We are a take action site. And we are really looking at ways we can facilitate actionable and meaningful help.
1: Right. I I think that's great. I mean, you're really mobilizing a team around an individual or family in need and, you know, when I was a manager of, you know, about 100 individuals, I had situations where, you know, had people who had, um, were preparing for the birth of their child and were constantly collecting money and someone, one person is going to get the gifts. Um, mm-hmm. We had some people experience, unfortunately, death of a parent or a baby. It resonates with me as someone uh, who was a manager who probably would have benefited from an organization that had this as a benefit to employees or managers to corral a team mobilize a team around an employee in need Um, and I can absolutely see this you know for churches and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more and the messaging the churches Um, and I think the church you know really is there to stabilize a community and so this their idea of stabilizing a community married to your ability to mobilize a team around some of those challenges that churches typically have I think um, I think is a positive one.
4: Well, and I think what's so interesting, Amy, about some of the, the messaging too, is that you are allowing people to connect over distance, right? Which is, which is a really powerful thing to do. And, and, and even for faith-based communities it can be a really powerful thing to do is really to connect, you know, family members, friends, and like you said, the team around someone going through either a celebration or a time of crisis or grief, um, And I think with regard to kind of how you message this, certainly talking about it in the way that you have been talking about it, right? It's like the bulletin boards, the phone trees that our grandmothers used to do in churches, um, Mm -hmm. makes it very relatable. Oh, I get it. I understand what it is. And then it allows people to think about, oh, great I don't have to figure out what everybody needs right oh they need this you know, like you said you know something for their pet or they need something for their child or their other family member or rides or whatever it is there is there is that there is that um opening for people the other thing that I think is so interesting about the messaging here to the different constituencies, is it also really teaches us in a time where we are more dispersed, where we are kind of connected on social media, kind of sort of, but we're not sharing that much maybe. How do you relate to folks that are going through a time of crisis or going through a particular challenge? How do you reach out in a way that's practical, actionable, and makes sense for both the giver and the receiver? So I think there's there's some real power there in telling that story. Yes. Yeah. So,
2: so I just had a an aha moment while you were speaking and one of the differentiators with what friends do and I think I'm kind of going back to what happened to those days when you know our grandmothers took food to anyone in the church because they were a member of our church. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, I think has made it so we are to be passive and we're really just supposed to consume that information, let it go, maybe like it, maybe thumbs down and give a sad face, but there, it really has turned us into just consumers of information rather than actually being involved with our friends' lives. And that, so I think that's an
3: issue. Yeah, and I think that is another good message point, you know, because people aren't realizing that because we're, we'll see something on Facebook. I just saw the other day my girlfriend in Detroit, her father is in the hospital right now. And I grew up with her. I've known her since in elementary school. So. All of a sudden, you see everyone clicking, oh, sad face, you know, and that's it. Or it's like, oh, we'll pray for you. And there's no other action step. So you could message that. That's another message point you can use and talk about how social media has made us passive. Because we think just by one click, we're showing that we care. Whereas we actually need someone to take those steps, necessary steps to help that person out, whether it's the patient itself or it's the caregiver or the mm-hmm. daughter who is concerned about her father's well-being.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that's actually a really good point too my mind goes to partnerships and integration (laughs) and so it it would be so amazing if we could help you get integration with facebook if Mm -hmm. you know something like that comes up it'll be easy to to click so um let's talk offline about that
4: i think the other um natural You know, overlap is particularly with some of the crises that we've had around the country this last year. I mean, I know I have a very dear friend who lost her home in the fires in Mm -hmm. Northern California. And there was, you know, a big outpouring of support from friends and family. Like, you know, she literally needed clothing, right? And Mm -hmm. a place to stay and somebody to help take care of pets because you can't take pets to, you know if somebody's letting you stay at their house and all of these different things. And here you are, your platform offers that natural opportunity to be like, okay, what can I do? How can I insert myself? And so certainly, I'm sure Zina will talk about, you know, publicity opportunities around events, even if they're crisis events. And also just how do you tell that story, right? Every time you have something um, and you've got a lot of people on the platform, you've got people who are able to say, this helped me through this event, or um, this is how much of a difference this made in my life or allowed me to jump in for my friend's crisis or my family member's crisis and so forth.
3: Mm -hmm. And, And by doing that, when you start jumping in, you're not pitching it to the press, you're demonstrating to the community how your platform works. And so what ends up happening, the presses see it. And they'll pick up on that story. And then that that's another way of generating news stories. I tell people to look for trends of what's going on at that moment. And whether it's a crisis or not a crisis, figure out if your product or service can, prov- you know, provide a solution, right? So if you provide that solution, then you have other people talking about that solution and that helps to create that publicity without you even thinking about pitching anybody. The the results will show.
4: Yes. and We've been talking a lot about messaging to the end user, right? And so I want to shift away from that for a minute because you were talking about the different groups that you're speaking to. So messaging to the end user is really important because you want to get them engaged, you want to get them you know, to appreciate the solution, understand the solution, see how it fits into their lives and so forth. And then you've got people who are going to pay for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and and I know we also like our guest is going to talk a lot about like kind of that combination of um messages, both how do you message to the end user and how do you how do you message to people who are thinking about, okay, how do I take this into my organization and actually use it? But let's talk on um and I'm not gonna try to talk about faith-based communities, let's talk a little bit about some of the other organizations that you that you sell to, right? Hospitals and like you said, foundations and so forth. Um mm-hmm. Because I think there's a lot of really interesting messaging there. And obviously, you've you've spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? How do you provide that value to the organization? And how do you prepare the message for them to be able to then um, push that value message through to their eventual constituents? So talk to us a little bit more about that, because I thought that was so interesting how you were saying, hey, foundations, if you offer this not only are you going to be kind of seen very warmly in the eyes of the community and you can go do you know, fundraising in in different ways or right with the hospitals, maybe again, talking about that educational model of how do we help people through a time of grief or celebration? How do we jump in and really share in that moment? Maybe when, um, a new baby arrives or whatever.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, Hospitals and foundations have such a unique opportunity here, right, to offer just this extension of what their, you know, what their core strength is, right? We're not trying to come in and say that we are the medical experts. We're just trying to allow them to extend their care further without actually having to do anything, right? (laughs) Sure. so they're yeah. not the ones who are going to provide the meals they're not the ones who are going to buy the diapers or anything like that but um just just continuing on beyond that um and i i think when i speak with customer service or customer experience in healthcare organizations like oh this is fantastic um and they really really love the idea and the concept and then getting it in to the right purchaser is often hard right right and
4: part of that i can imagine might be because you're talking about a layered a layered user group right you were you were talking about mm-hmm. you know hospitals tend to be focused on the patient And yes, this helps the patient. And it's another way of giving caregiver support. So you've even got different interest groups within the hospital thinking about that. And I would imagine in churches and faith-based groups too, which we'll talk about. And same thing within, you know, foundations, we're talking about not just um, the patient or the caregiver, but also those different team members that are jumping in to help, right? So you've got a lot of different people that you're talking to in this messaging layer, Yeah,
1: and I think you know you have what I'm going to call a a technology solution, right? And so that usually has to be coordinated with an IT department, or Mm -hmm. um, you know you're you're collecting data and information. There's privacy um, around that, and so you don't fit cleanly into a part of the organization, as Aurelia said. You kind of uh, go across. But another thing out I'd offer when you are talking with hospitals or other organizations is around the opportunity to support supplier diversity Uh, and kind of what I mean by this, and it could be a stretch, but you know, this is what I'm thinking for you is that Mm -hmm. you you now have a platform that can connect to businesses. I know we have a company here in DC called ReciproCare that helps companies that provide care, uh, find caregivers who are a good fit for their clients. Um, There are services, uh, caterers, right? Who are trying to now start catering services. And so you can also start plugging into that supplier diversity for small merchants who may be able to provide support using this platform to people within the organizations, the patients, children, et cetera, uh, who are your your end users as well.
3: And with hospitals, I used to work for once. I know it's a a maze and I had a hard time navigating it myself for a couple of years. Well, how many, I think I was there for about three years. Um, I was at Georgetown University Medical Center. And one of the things w- where you can start is, um, and I wish I could remember the title, but it's like um, the coordinator who is handle. they're like between the hospital and also the patient. And there's a particular name for it. And when I remember, I'll care coordinator. Like a care, coordinator, like a care coordinator. coordinator. Exactly. Yeah. And you could go to a care coordinator and go to that particular department and talk to them about your product. And what you could possibly offer. And they could suggest how how where you can go to sell this. And um, I know there's different levels that you have to pitch it. So you have to start, mm-hmm. but start there and list it to them. And they'll direct you uh, where to go throughout that hospital so that eventually you land in purchasing where you can get that purchase order. Um, <laughs> so you can sell this type of technology. Yes
2: and going back to christina's point earlier in the conversation additionally this can be used as an hr add-on and benefit Mm -hmm. for all of the employees in the hospital who are also at some point in their life going to experience some kind of life event and all of the hospital staff is trying to organize around
1: their person who they care about Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and and um, so one question I want to kind of dive into as well is just the partnerships. So we talked a little bit mm-hmm. about who you might be partnering with. And, you know, as you're kind of approaching this, I'm not really a pivot. It's more of a, a resurfacing of your messaging and detailing of your messaging. What additional partners or current partners or ideal partners are you looking for?
2: Well, as far as we have two types of partnerships. That we really look at one are the service providers and those um, you know service supplier providers as well like for instance we've partnered with Amazon and we use their Amazon wish list we have peapod grocery delivery allowing friends to order groceries and have them delivered for a friend and those types of partnerships are really critical to allowing friends from all over the country, really all over the world, to help provide services to the person going through this event. So looking for more partnerships like that with services, especially care services, are really critical for us. But the other kinds of partnerships that we're obviously looking for are people who can help get us in front of churches and temples and mosques and all of the other faith organizations. Um, Because I know there are already technology solutions out there and an organization that's going to be willing to look at our platform as a purchase is probably already using some sort of technology platform. Maybe they're using, you know, a, member management tool or have at least have an online website where they post some information. So partnerships with those providers who already have relationships where we could you know have discussions about being an additional service. Those are the types of partnerships that would be really ideal for us.
1: Yeah, yeah and I think I think you're also talking about being an enabler of traditional culture in churches and mirroring that mm-hmm. to um, uh, you know just the ability to uh, ease of use and ability to connect people with the things that they need <clears throat> there's a more eloquent way to say it <laughs> um, but, but I think it's you know I'm looking at again the cross generational solution of you're going to maintain and help with tradition as well as enable a new culture going forward and getting people back to caring for one another at least being able to mobilize quickly and do something
3: and with churches as well you're going to have to pay attention to the different denominations right so the black church um some of them not all some of them are not you know they're not into technology as much so Mm -hmm. you may have to dig a little bit more and go through the maze, once again, of the different churches uh, within that church. And then you may mm-hmm. have some churches that are very tech savvy who will understand exactly what you're trying to do. And then, then you have to look at the Catholic Church, which is a little bit of a, a larger entity. So you need to understand <laughs> the different personalities of those churches before you go in there and go after them and, you know, you know make a friend, find a champion within those churches to help you um, sell that particular technology. right? So,
4: since we're talking about different constituencies, I mean, this is relevant not just for faith-based communities but also for community organizations and so forth. Um, do you offer the platform in other languages? Is that something that is um, in the works or currently available?
2: So right now we don't have other languages available, but I believe there are some services out there that will do translation for you. And it is definitely on our product roadmap of something that we're going to offer um, after the next build.
4: Great. Well, one of the quick things I wanna touch on before we um, pass over to our faith-based expert to talk about a lot of the different thoughts um, around church usage is um I want to comment just for a moment on investor messaging. And I think from the investor standpoint, and obviously I don't speak for everybody, and I know that once you are really good at talking to your market and you're really good at explaining the problem and the solution and how it works, investors then will be able to see it, right? Because it's all about just explaining what the market is, what's going to happen, and frankly, you know, telling a story with your numbers, right? So, hey, if you've got... Um, this market and that market, and you're meeting needs, and you're talking to people. Investors are definitely going to come alongside. They're going to see that, and they're going to say, "Huh, that's kind of interesting." So, yes, I, I you know, I, I think it's always important to kind of focus on your ideal client first, and then let other things follow. So, yeah, yep. that
1: that is a great reminder. Thank you. Yeah, and and just to to reinforce, I think what's been said earlier is, you know, you've you've done this for some time, and you you have people who have used the platform and where you can highlight those stories, highlight them. You know, um, I, I think okay. just the, the, the use of the, the tool itself and showing how it's transformed or helped the situation again, if it's a, a positive one or one, that's a, a life uh, transition that's you know, unfortunate for people, but sharing those stories I think will be really critical.
3: And the last piece okay. I want to add is, you know, speaking of st- telling the story, you can kind of tell those stories on Instagram. You know how sometimes on Instagram, they people have a, like a little quote or a message. You can take that and turn it into something really positive, and then you know, at the end, just what friends do. You don't even have to explain what your platform is, and somebody will probably Google it just to check it out. So take those little mm-hmm. tip, you know, those little bits and pieces from stories from some of your customers who are using it or even just come up with some and just put it on Instagram as a quick message and people will see it. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. So Amy, this has been really great. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you and I definitely am going to use your platform. Um, I could have used it, to be honest with you, <laughs> about eight <laughs> weeks ago when I had surgery and everyone was reaching out and asking me, how can I help? And uh, I was getting text messages left and right. I just didn't know how to handle all of it. But um, I, I, I really will. It, it was very overwhelming. And I, I love everyone. And I'm, I'm thankful that people were reaching out. I just couldn't just I couldn't respond all the time. So how mm-hmm. can we find you so that we can spread the word and tell people about your platform? Thank you.
2: Well, we, first of all, thanks for having me. And I have so many wonderful notes um, and things to take back. And you can find us at whatfriendsdo.com. We're also on Twitter at whatfriendsdo. We have a Facebook page as well at whatfriendsdo. And we have a live help desk chat session available a lot of the time on our page. we're real people we're here to help you and if you have a friend or loved one who you think could be of use on this service please reach out to us and we'll help you get this going that's what we love to do and if you have a organization who you think could benefit from this let me know uh, i'm also i can also be reached personally at amy kandrack on twitter and, I, and that's A-I-M-E-E-K-A-N-D-R-A-C. And I would love to chat with you about ways that we can make this work because we're really in this to help people. And we just want to make it easy and not overwhelming.
3: That's great, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and your platform. And I think all of us have been enlightened um, by what you're doing, and we can definitely hear and feel the
1: passion.
2: Oh, well, thank you for having me, ladies. I really appreciate it.
1: Reverend Maurice Porter is a fifth-generation Christian minister and is currently pastor of Shiloh Baptist Church in Hartford, Connecticut. After graduating from Denmark Technical College, Reverend Porter enlisted in the United States Air Force, where he was stationed at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. While faithfully serving his country, Reverend Porter was deployed to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and a few other places for which he gained awards and accolades for exemplary, selfless service. It was during his military career that Reverend Porter answered his call to ministry. After he was honorably discharged from the United States Air Force, Reverend Porter completed studies at the esteemed Morehouse College and Interdenominational Theological Center at Morehouse School of Religion. Pastor Porter served as youth minister, interim pastor, and senior pastor at several churches in Atlanta, Georgia, and South Carolina. Apart from his commitment and devotion to pastoral ministry, he honors another commitment to outreach ministry throughout his community, to include National Baptist Congress of Christian Education helping hands, and is a proud member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity. Pastor Porter is married with four beautiful children, and he is here with us today to talk about uh, what friends do. So, Pastor Porter, we're so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us.
0: I'm excited to be here. Thank you all for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: And so you've had a chance to listen to Amy talk about what friends do in her company. How could Amy best approach faith-based communities and talk about what her company does?
0: Uh, one of the things I think is really important, one, I just want to say I think it's a phenomenal idea, and um, it is, uh, it embodies what I um, always say about the church, that is that our message uh, never changes, but our method should, um, and so I think that it's a great step in the right direction. Um, to continue to, um, you know, just instill hope and, and care uh, for persons that we that we love and who are part of our uh, faith community. Um, I think that the best approach to to uh, doing so is to understand um, the cultural uh, connection in every church because that that's really important. Every church has a sense of community and uh, a cultural connection that usually binds together the members of that church and so i think it's important to understand uh those cultural aspects as she goes into different uh churches because one church may accept it one way while another uh i think all churches would accept it, i should say but it's the way they accept it um i believe that that will help uh on help, uh, whether or not you know it's successful across the board
2: and, and churches altogether. together
1: so, Pastor Porter, we heard Amy uh, talk about just how, her, how she believes right now that a lot of people are a little bit more passive in how they approach serving others. Can you talk about uh, how you've seen that play out and where this platform may be able to help the community?
0: Okay, um, I, I, I definitely think that it's easy, you know, to become passive or reluctant um, when anything becomes a routine. So um, because most, most of our churches are community-based, um, you have a lot of people who have been providing services, you know, and, and uh, you know, carrying expressions, um, for years and years. So it becomes like a routine for them. Um, in some instances, not at all. Um, it becomes so routine um, that it no longer comes from the heart. It, it just becomes something to do. Um, that could happen, and and there's, I guess, a lot of reasons why that why that happens. I think that speaks to why it's so important uh, for officers and persons who serve in church to be rotated on a regular basis and things like that. Um, but uh, I would say that it's really important just to, to ensure that uh, the caring uh, services of a, of a church are fresh, you know, it's fresh and, and it's done from the heart. And so I think that uh, her approach is, uh, it lends an opportunity for that to always happen because uh, it opens up the basis for volunteers, not just for people who help, but for how they help. Um, people tend to uh, be more motivated about things. Uh, I've learned people are more motivated about things that have a deadline attached to them um, in church now. And so people, people are more willing to help if they know that um, you know if I start this on the 15th and project will be over on the 30th and we can move on to something else. And a lot of people are not willing to commit themselves indefinitely anymore to something um, that is not defining. So um, I, think it, I think one of the greatest things about uh, what she's doing is that it allows for an opportunity for people to serve, um, know exactly what their uh, role is, to perform it, and to move on to something else. I, I think that's really uh, a great thing about it as well.
1: Yeah, and, and, and thanks for that point. You know, We also talked about how faith-based communities, as you just mentioned, too, is, are really used to jumping in at the time of grief or celebration. Um, And so the other piece that we want to ask you about is the adoption of technology and actually serving others. Any thoughts on that?
0: Well, you know, like, technology is good, and again, like I was saying earlier, it all depends on the culture um, of the church and and the community, uh, the idea of community that's been shaped um, within the church. So some churches are technologically savvy. Um, They, you know, they they do all kinds of things. They use uh, the screens. They they have um, a lot of people who... Uh, are giving online um, through apps, and the churches have apps themselves, and then you have, you know, a lot of older churches, and the ways are not wrong, but they're just um, outdated in many ways, where they still have um, they still, you know, print a lot of paper and, you know, give a lot of public announcements, and there's really nothing done. Um, They don't have websites and social media pages and things like that. Um, And so um, technologically, it all depends on the context. Um, Personally, In my church, I would say, I think it would work in churches like mine, which would be uh, traditional um, African-American churches. um, I would say that it would be a good um, addition to what's already being done. Um, I think that to take away the services that we now offer, and not so much services we offer as much as the way we offer the services, to take them away uh, the way that we currently offer them would uh, not be most effective. Um, because not only are people used to uh, granting the services in one way, people are also used to receiving them a certain way. So I think that the transition is uh, important in how you introduce this to a congregation, to most congregations um, in the United States. It, it should be um, introduced as uh, something in addition to, and not in replacement of.
4: Pastor Porter, this is Aurelia. Uh, thanks again for being with us today.
0: No problem.
4: You brought up a really interesting point. I think um, Amy sees the company as, like you suggested, adding to what's already in a faith-based community, not replacing or Mm -hmm. overrunning anybody else's role. And yet that is probably one of the things she'll run up against. Can you just talk about that a little bit more, how she could position herself to be really clear about that? because. Technology is great, and it never takes the place of people, right?
0: Right, exactly. And I was when I was listening to um, you know the uh, the interview with, with Amy, um, I, I always make up words. So when I was listening to her um, describe the, the services, I thought it was a great idea. And I said to myself, "This is like the Uberizing of help. Like like this is like a, a service uh, kind of like a Uber service, you know, for, for helping people. And it, it's a great idea." Um, like many ideas that, that happen in church, but if they're not introduced and presented the right way, then, um, then then they're thrown out, you know, and they're rejected.
4: Let me add another two-part question to that: Who within the faith-based community or the faith-based community, a faith-based community that is structured like yours is, would she approach specifically?
0: Um, if she wanted to do it on a larger basis. Um, For instance, for me, um, I'm part of a a national—our church is a part of a national organization um, called the National Baptist Convention USA, Incorporated, Um, and that would be the national arm, I guess, for all churches, and we attend a convention uh, every year, uh, Labor Day weekend, where the president of that um, convention will roll out, you know, different ideas. Um, He's Mm -hmm. rolled out the Givelify thing that I mentioned um, a minute ago, the Push Pal, different ways to give, Um, and so if she presented it Uh, To the national organization, he would roll that out to a lot of the pastors and church leaders who would be meeting at the annual convention. Um, If she wanted to do it a national way, she could do it that way. If she wanted to do it locally, I would say she would uh, sit down, you know, with the local pastors and, uh, you know, present to them uh, exactly what she'd like to do and how it could be a benefit um, to them. And also, in addition to uh, just saying how it can be a benefit, let them know that she understands uh, what they do now so not just a benefit in and of itself, but how it can be a benefit in addition to what they already offer.
3: Hi, um, then, not, I'm sorry,
0: yeah. So I'm, I think that's really important.
3: I'm sorry, and, and this is Zena. I wanted to jump in and um, add to that. Um, sometimes when you work with different churches, and I've noticed this in my my PR business because I, I do a lot of outreach, and a lot of clients come to me for mm-hmm. faith-based space, especially to the African American churches you have to start locally to get them the buy in um that happened with me with um Maryland Health Connection under the Affordable Care Act so once i was able to you know capture some of the the main the major churches in Prince George's County and Baltimore i noticed that other churches wanted to come on board to help Absolutely. push yeah push, you know, their community to, if you don't have health insurance, get health insurance and get insured under Maryland Health Connection. So with that point being said, I agree with you to start locally and then maybe take it up to the national level because she'll have some champions.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. And I mean, you know, like we all are, you know, we all admire success. And so she can, you know, start within, like you said, a, a popular church and a church that does it well. And she commits to. Um, you know, partnering with that church, I'm sure that it's pulled off well and executed well. Um, other churches will, will hop right on, you know, on the idea, and, and I'm sure she'll be successful that way. But locally, it's definitely the way to go if you ask me.
4: And is it the case then that she should be approaching pastors directly and not a pastoral care team, or is it kind of a group approach? Who does she reach out to? No, I would
0: say she definitely wants to approach the pastor. The reason Uh is because usually if the pastor wants to do it, everybody else is willing to at least give it a try. Um, So, you know, the pastoral care team um, usually takes the directions also from the pastor. So um, I think that if she can at least uh, get in touch with the pastors first and uh, get them to kind of buy into at least giving it a try, um, I I think that would be the best approach.
3: And once again, you know, you gotta know the culture of the church. So, um, right. it, you know, I know that's, <laughs> wait, I, I belong to a large church, and I know it's hard for me to get to the pastor. So she will need to understand that environment before she's able to go to the, past, uh, the pastor directly. Yeah, you? absolutely. Okay.
1: Yeah, And, Pastor Porter, I have one other question for you is, um, what did you, do you wish that you heard Amy say about what friends do? What would have resonated more with you? is there anything additional that you would have her add to uh, the product and her message? Um,
0: I just, I don't know if I, if I would, if there's anything that I wish I would heard her say, I, I would tell you um, what ran through my mind as, you know, as you guys were talking. And that was when, when we think about helping and serving um, people in particularly in times of, you know, extreme joy or extreme pain, which is usually where the church comes in. Um, there's, there's usually um, one of the greatest things about receiving the help is that it comes from someone that you know, um, someone that you're familiar with. And so I, I just thought about what it might look like um, to industrialize help and serving. Um, but that was just where my mind was, theoretically or conceptually, which which may or may not be on track with what uh, exactly what Amy was describing. But just to give you an idea of what I was thinking, I was saying to myself, so... Um, if I had a sick parent or sick grandparent um, who who needed some help, who needed a meal during the day and my work hours didn't allow for me to come home in the middle of the day to feed them or to serve them or, or, you know, to do whatever they needed, then perhaps I could get in touch with uh, what friends do and solicit their services and someone could come by and ensure that that's done. And that's great because I would know at work that it's being done. But in the same token, I don't know if it's being done in a way that my sick loved one would receive or most appreciate and so i was wondering um how does amy ensure to make sure that uh how does she ensure that the people who want to help uh, are helping from the right place mm, that's
1: a great point point.
0: and so that's something that i, I did not necessarily hear i um, they're conveying um exactly you know everything that the program offered um i just heard that uh, if people were willing to help, they could become a part of the network and offer the help. But when you talk about industrializing help, um, people can help because there's a check in it for them. Or, you know, I mean, um, they could help because, you know, they want a couple extra dollars. And what does that mean then if you're talking about uh, persons who actually need services that their life depends on? And can you actually trust? Um, anyone who, who says they're willing to help mm-hmm. to take care of your disabled level? You know, I mean, is that something um, most people are willing to do? Do we trust each other enough
1: right. to
0: simply, you know, allow that to happen? And so those are just some questions that, that rose, you know, uh, for me that, that I would love to hear more about.
1: Do we trust each other enough to help? I love that. Absolutely love that.
3: Great. Thank you so much for coming on our show, um, Pastor Porter. Really appreciate all of your comments. How can we reach you?
0: Uh, I can be reached at Shiloh Baptist Church, uh, Hartford, Connecticut. The website is Uh The phone number is 860-247-3767. And uh, our email is admin at shilohbchartford.org.
3: Great. Thank you. This show was so important to me because I just went through surgery. And if I had known about this particular platform, because I had so many people coming up to me saying, oh, how can I help? What can I do? Or, um, you know, how can I support you during your recovery? And the important thing about what friends do, it's it helps you to think about how to help and serve others with a heart, and Pastor Porter mentioned that. And uh, if you don't want to aggressively or assertively do it, you can passively get involved. And this platform is something that has been done over, I would say, many years, almost I want to say over, you know, several decades that mosques, churches, um, uh, other faith-based organizations have used. And Amy just took this old school methodology and turned it into a 21st century tech platform, which I think is pretty cool. So as uh, as, uh, Pastor Porter said, the message never changes, but the method can and should change. And so we should think about what friends do as an add-on platform to what is currently uh, going on in the church. And to be aware of the culture of churches, which, as I mentioned earlier, that that is very important because each church has its own personality, and you need to be able to understand it before you introduce, whether, whether that church is technically savvy or not, before you introduce anything to that particular church. And then once one or two churches, and maybe three or four, come on board, they will probably be able to take this platform to the national organization. So... Think about using this for your mother, for your father, for a loved one, for a friend. And um, Facebook is excellent. It's great to use just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. But what friends do, it really steps in to really show how that person is serving and helping others. Thank you for joining our show. I so enjoyed this, as I mentioned this earlier. So if you want to learn more, please go to giftfoundgiftfunded.com. And go to our newsletter and also go to our other shows. Thank you for joining us.